uh, Dryden was actually a friend of John Wilmot, Earl of Rochester, and then they had a falling out, and uh, I wanted to compare the two because Dryden was, of course, the leading poet of his day. Let's see if that was valid. And then I found it very interesting that in the poem where he tries to dump on Dryden, Wilmot actually very nearly steals lines from the great Earl who did the essay on translation, Roswell. So let me read it and point out those lines. Well, sir, tis granted, I said Dryden's rhymes were stolen, unequal, nay dull many times. What foolish patron is there found of his, so blindly partial to deny me this, that his plays embroidered up and down with wit and learning justly pleased the town. In the same paper I as freely own, yet having this allowed, the heavy mass that stuffs up his loose volumes must not pass. For by that rule I might as well admit crowns tedious scenes for poetry and wit. Tis therefore not enough when your false sense hits the false judgment of an audience, of clapping fools assembling a vast crowd till the thronged playhouse cracks with the dull load. Though even that talent merits in some sort it can divert the rabble in the court, which blundering settle never could attain, and puzzling Otway labors at in vain. Now here is where he takes almost verbatim Roswell's lines, but within due proportions circumscribe, whate'er you write that with a flowing tide the style may rise, yet in its rise forbear, with useless words to oppress the wearied ear. Here be your language lofty, there more light, your rhetoric with your poetry unite. For elegance' sake, sometimes allay the force of epithets twill soften the discourse. A jest in scorn points out and hits the thing, more home than the morosest satyr sting. And now he goes on. Shakespeare and Johnson did here in excel, and might in this be imitated well whom refined etheridge copies not at all, but is himself a sheer original. Nor that slow drudge and swift pindaric strons, flatman cowley imitates with pains, and rides a jaded muse whipped with loose reins, when Lee makes temperate Scipio fret and rave, and Hannibal a whining amorous slave. I laugh and wish the hot-brained Fustian fool and Busby's hands to be well lashed at school. Of all our modern wits, none seems to me once to have touched upon true comedy, but hasty Shadwell and slow Witcherly. Shadwell's unfinished works do yet impart great proofs of force of nature, none of art. With just bold strokes he dashes here and there, showing great mastery with little care, and scorns to varnish his good touches o'er to make the fools and women praise them more. Women are women. But witcherly, Aaron's hard whate'er he gains. He wants no judgment and he spares no pains. He frequently excels and at the least 
makes fewer faults than any of the beast best. Waller by nature for the bays designed with force and fire and fancy unconfined and panegyrics does excel mankind. He best can turn in force and soften things to praise great conquerors or to flatter kings. Her pointed satyrs I would Buckhurst choose, the best good man with the worst natured muse. For songs and verses mannerly obscene that can stir nature up by springs unseen and without forcing blushes warm the queen. Sidley has that prevailing gentle art that can with a resistless charm impart the loosest wishes to the chastest heart. Raise such a conflict, kindle such a fire, betwixt declining virtue and desire, till the poor vanquished maid dissolves away and dreams all night and sighs and tears all day. Dryden in vain tried this nice way of wit, but he to be a tearing blade thought fit. But when he would be sharp, he still was blunt. To frisk his frolic fancy, he cried, See, would give the ladies a dry body bob. A copulation without ejaculation. <laughs> and thus he got the name of poet squab, undeveloped, short. But he but to be just will to his praise be found, his excellencies more than faults abound, nor dare I from his sacred temples tear that laurel which he best deserves to wear. But does not Dryden find even Johnson dull, Fletcher and Beaumont uncorrupt and full of lewd lines, as he calls them, Shakespeare style, stiff and affected, tis own the while? Well, he gives Dryden praise and takes it away, allowing all the justness that his pride so arrogantly had to these denied. And may not I have leave impartially to search and censure Dryden's works and try? If those gross faults his choice pen does commit proceed from want of judgment or of wit, or if his lumpish fancy does refuse spirit and grace to his loose latern muse. Five hundred verses every morning writ proves you no more a poet than a wit. Such scribbling authors have been seen before. Mustafa the English princess, forty more, were things, perhaps, composed in half an hour. To write what may securely stand the test of being well read over thrice at least. Compare each phrase, we're back to Roswell again. To write what may securely stand the test of being well read over thrice at least. Compare each phrase, examine every line, Weigh every word and every thought refine. Scorn all applause the vile rout can bestow. And be content to please those few who know. Canst thou be such a vain mistaken thing to wish thy works might make a playhouse ring with the unthinking laughter and poor praise of fops and ladies' factions for thy plays and send a cunning friend to learn thy doom from the shrewd judges in the drawing room. I've no ambition on that idle score, but say with Betty Maurice heretofore, when a court lady called her Buckley's whore, I please one man of wit and proud on it, too, lent all the coxcombs dance to bed to you. Should I be troubled when the pure blind night 
who squints more in his judgment than his sight, picks silly faults and censures what I write? Or when the poor led poets of the town for scraps and coachroom cry my verses down? I loathe the rabble, tis enough for me, if Sidley, Shadwell, Shepherd, Witcherly, Godolphin, Butler, Buckhurst, Buckingham, and some few more whom I omit to name, approve my sense, I count their censure fame. Here's a poem by John Dryden. To his brother or kinsman, I guess he's also a John Dryden of Chesterton in the county of Huntington, Esquire. How blessed is he who leads a country life unvexed with anxious cares and void of strife who studying peace and shunning civil rage, enjoyed his youth and now enjoys his age. All who deserve his love he makes his own, and to be loved himself needs only to be known. Just good and wise contending neighbors come from your reward, from your reward to wait their final doom, and foes before return in friendship home. Without their cost, you terminate the cause and save the expense of long litigi litiginous laws where suits are traversed and so little won that he who conquers is but last undone. Such are not your decrees, but so designed the sanction leaves a lasting peace behind. Like your own soul, serene, a pattern of your mind. Promoting concord and composing strife Lord of yourself, uncumbered with a wife, where for a year, a month, perhaps a night, long penitence succeeds a short delight. Minds are so hardly matched that even the first, though paired by heaven and paradise, were cursed. That's Adam and Eve. For man and woman, though in one they grow, yet first or last return again to two. He to God's image, she to his, was made so farther from the font, the stream at random strayed. How could he stand when put to double pain? He must a weaker than himself sustain. Each might have stood perhaps, but each alone, to wrestlers help to pull each other down. Not that my verse would blemish all the fair, but yet if some be bad, tis wisdom to beware, and better shun the bait than struggle in the snare. Thus have you shunned and shunned the married state, trusting as little as you can to fate. No porter guards the passage of your door to admit the wealthy and exclude the poor. For God who gave the riches gave the heart to sanctify the whole by giving part. Heaven who foresaw the will, the means has wrought, and to the second son a blessing brought. The first begotten had his father's share but you, like Jacob, are Rebecca's heir. 
so may your stores and fruitful fields increase, and ever be you blessed to live to bless as Ceres sowed, where'er her chariot flew. As heaven in deserts rained the bread of dew, so free to many, no relations most, you feed with manna your own Israel host. With crowds attended of your ancient race, you seek the champion sports or sylvan chase. With well-breathed beagles, you surround the wood. Even then, industrious of the common good, and often have you brought the wily fox to suffer for the firstlings of the flocks. Chased even among mid the folds and made to bleed like felons where they did the murderous deed. This fiery game your active youth maintained, not yet by years extinguished though restrained. You season still with sports your serious hours, for age but tastes of pleasures youth devours. The hare in pastures or in plains is found, emblem of human life who runs the round. And after all his wandering ways are done, his circle fills and ends where he begun, just as the setting meets the rising sun. Thus princes ease their cares, but happier he who seeks not pleasure through necessity than such as once on slippery thrones were placed and chafing, sigh to think themselves are chased. So lived our sires, ere doctors learned to kill, and multiplied with theirs the weekly bill. The first physicians by debauch were made, access began and sloth sustains the trade. Pity the generous kind their cares bestow, to search forbidden truths a sin to know, to which if humane science could attain, the doom of death pronounced by God were vain. In vain the leech would interpose delay, fate fastens first and vindicates the praise, the prey. What help from art's endeavors can we have? Gibbons but guesses, nor is sure to save. But Morris sweeps whole parishes and peoples every grave. And no more mercy to mankind will use and when he robbed and murdered Morrow's muse. Wouldst thou be soon dispatched and perish whole? Trust Morris with thy life, and Milbrum with thy soul. By chase our long-lived fathers earned their food. Toil strung the nerves and purified the blood. But we, their sons, a pampered race of men, are dwindled down to threescore years and ten, better to hunt in fields for health unbought than see the doctor for a nauseous draught. The wise for cure on exercise depend. God never made his work for man to mend. The tree of knowledge once in Eden placed was easy found, but was forbid the taste. Oh, had our grandsire walked without his wife, he first had fought the better plant of life. Now both are lost yet wandering in the dark. Physicians for the tree have found the bark. They laboring for relief of humane kind. With sharpened sight some remedies may find. The apothecary train is wholly blind. From files a random recipe they take. 
and many deaths of one prescription make. Garth, generous as his muse, prescribes and gives. A shop man sells and by destruction lives. Ungrateful tribe, who like the vipers brood, from medicine issuing suck their mother's blood. Let these obey and let the learned prescribe that men may die without a double bribe. Let them but under their superiors kill when doctors first have signed the bloody bill. He scapes the best to nature to repair, draws physic from the fields and draughts of vital air. You hoard not health for your own private use, but on the public spend the rich produce. When often urged and willing to be great, your country calls you from your loved retreat and sends to senates charged with common care, which none have more shuns and none can better bear. Where could they find another form so fit to poise with solid sense a sprightly wit? Were these both wanting as they both abound, where could so firm integrity be found? Well-born and wealthy, wanting no support, you steer betwixt the country and the court, nor gratify whate'er the great desire, nor grudging give what public needs require. Part must be left a fund when foes invade, and part employed to roll the watery trade. Even Canaan's happy land, when worn with toil, required a Sabbath year to mend the meager soil. Good senators, and such are you, so give that kings may be supplied, the people thrive, and he, when want requires, is truly wise, who slights not foreign aids, nor overbuys, but on her native strength in time of need relies. Munster was bought, we boast not the success, who fights for gain, for greater, makes his peace. Our foes, compelled by need, have peace embraced. The peace both parties want is like to last, which if secure, securely we may trade, or not secure should never have been made. Safe in ourselves while on ourselves we stand. The sea is ours, and that defends the land. Be then the naval stores the nation's care, new ships to build and batter to repair. Observe the war in every annual course, what has been done was done with British force. Namur subdued is England's palm alone. The rest besieged, but we constrained the tone. We saw the event that followed our successes. France, though pretending arms, pursued the peace, obliged by one sole treaty to restore what 20 years of war had won before. Enough for Europe has our Albion fought. Let us enjoy the peace our blood has bought. When once the Persian king was put to flight, the wary Macedons refused to fight, themselves their own mortality confessed, and left the son of Jove to quarrel for the rest. Even victors are by victories undone. Thus Hannibal with foreign laurels won. To Carthage was recalled too late to keep his own. We'll soar a battle. While our wounds are green, why should we tempt the doubtful die again? In wars renewed, uncertain of success, sure of a share as umpires of the peace, a patriot both the king and country serves, prerogative and privilege preserves. Of each our laws a certain limit show, 
Once must not ebb, nor the other overflow. Twixt the prince and parliament we stand, the barriers of the state on either hand may neither overflow, for then they drown the land. On both her full they feed our blessed abode, like those that watered once the paradise of God. Some over poise of sway by turns they share, in peace the people and the prince and wear. War. Councils of moderate power and calms were made, when the Gauls came when sole dictator swayed. Patriots in peace affect the people's right, with noble stubbornness resisting might, no lawless mandates from the court receive, or lend by force but in a body give. Such was your generous grandsire, free to grant in parliaments that weighed their prince's want. But so tenacious of the common cause as not to lend the king against his laws, and in a loss, loathsome dungeon doomed to lie, in bonds retained his birthright liberty, and shamed oppression till it set him free. O true defendant of a patriot line, who while thou sharest their luster, whence am thine, vouchsafe this picture of thy soul to see, tis so far good as it resembles thee. The beauties to the original I owe, which when I miss my own defects I show, nor think the kindred muses thy disgrace. A poet is not born in every race. Two of a house few ages can afford, one to perform, another to record. Praiseworthy actions are by thee embraced, and tis my praise to make thy praises last. For even when death dissolves our human frame, the soul returns to heaven from whence it came. Earth keeps the body, verse preserves the fame. And here we'll read another by John Wilmot. Could I but make my wishes insolent? Could I but make my wishes insolent and force some image of a false content? But they, like me, bashful and humble grown, hover at distance about beauty's throne. There worship and admire, and then they die daring no more lady hold of her than I. Reason to worth bears a submissive spirit, but fools can be familiar with merit. Who but that blundering blockhead Phaeton could e'er have thought to drive about the sun? Just such another durst make love to you, whom not ambitious ambition led but dullness drew. No amorous thought could his dull heart incline, but he would have a passion for twas fine that a new suit and what he next must say runs in his idle head the live long day. Hard-hearted saint, since tis your will to be so unrelenting pitiless to me, regardless of a love so many years preserved twixt lingering hopes and awful fears, such fears in lovers' breasts high value claims, and such expiring martyrs feel in flames. My hopes yourself contrived with cruel care, through gentle smiles to lead me to despair. To some relief in my extreme distress, my rival is below your power to bless.
lampooned by the Earl of Rochester. Too long the wise commons have been in debate about money and conscience, those trifles of state, whilst dangerous grievances daily increase, and the subject can't riot in safety and peace. Unless as against Irish cattle before, you now make an act to forbid Irish whore. The coots, black and white, Clem Brazil and Fox invade us with impudence, beauty and pox. They carry a fate which no man can oppose. The loss of his heart and the fall of his nose. Should he duly resist, it will each take upon her to beseech him to do it and engage him in honor. O oh, ye merciful powers which of mortals take care, make the women more modest, more sound, or less fair. Is it just that with death cruel love should conspire, and our tales be burnt by our hearts taking fire? There's an end of communion, if humble believers must be damned in the cup like unworthy receivers. Mistress Knight's Advice to the Duchess of Cleveland in distress for a prick. Quoth the Duchess of Cleveland to Counselor Knight, I'd fain have a prick new, I how to come by it. But you must be secret and give your advice. Though cunt be not coy, reputation is nice. To some cellar in London your grace must retire, where porters with pots sit round the coal fire. Beer mugs, there open your case, and your grace cannot fail of a dozen of pricks for a dozen of ale. Say you so, quoth the Duchess, eh, by God, quoth the whore, and give me the key that unlocks, unlocks the back door, the back stairs at Whitehall. I'd rather be fucked by porters and carmen, and thus be abused by Churchill and German 